Thanks, team. Uh, our kids, our awesome kids, can head back to be with our team in trans. Uh, man, I was still say that. It used to be called trans. It's called Redemption Kids now. And Redemption Kids, by the way, had 60 kids in it last week, uh, which is just crazy, amazing. We love these kids. We love, hey, Jesus loved kids. We should love kids too. If it's hard for you, just think about Jesus. And man, Jesus loved kids. So we should love them. Uh, but they're going to have an awesome morning downstairs with our team in Transformation Station. And I want to invite the rest of you uh, to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. So that's the first book in the New Testament. You can look it up in the table of contents if you need help, or if you're using one of the Bibles we provide, it's page 817 uh, on those Bibles that we provide for you. Well, uh, as you're turning there, let me welcome everyone uh, to Redemption Hill Church. My name is Tanner Turley. I serve as one of the pastors here. And if you are new with us, we are grateful that you are here. And uh, if you are new or newish, or let me say this, if you have never been to what we call Next, Next is a free luncheon after the service where we share a little bit about our church, mission, vision, what we're about, what we want to see God do in and through us. Um, if you've never been to Next, here's my goal today, okay? This is, this is my goal. Please help me. I want there to be so many people downstairs that we make it a logistical nightmare for our next leadership. Okay, just, I mean, is that, is that bad? Is that wrong? I'm just saying, I know we already got like 10, 10, 12 strong because I've either talked to people or recruited people to be there. Um, so I'm just saying, let's have some fun, you know, make it hard on them, please. So make plans right now, 45 minutes. I'm going to try not to preach for an hour like I did the last two weeks, all right? Uh, so you'll get out of here. You'll go to next. You can still make the pads kick off, all right? There we go. Hey. So now for real, we hope you would uh, want, to, want to stick around for next. Uh, it, is, it is a great opportunity to connect with others, learn more about Redemption Hill. We'd love for you to come. Uh, well, today we're continuing our Today series as we're looking at culturally relevant hot topics that we need to have the mind of Jesus about, that we need to have the heart of Jesus about. Last week, we talked about racism. And if you missed that sermon, I would encourage you to go online and listen to it. Uh, not because it was grave from Tanner or whatever, um, but just because, man, we need to have the, the heart of Christ and all people posture um, like he did and does. So racism was last week. This week, we're talking about civility. Now, why, why a sermon on civility. Like, why would we take a Sunday to think about the topic of civility? Well, I, I hope that you would agree. I think that most of you would agree that we live in a day where incivility is on the rise. We live in a day where divisions are growing more and more deep and stark in terms of po the political realm, the social realm, even at times personally, relationally, just how this manifests itself. Division is growing. We live in a day where people are drawing deeper lines in the sand and they are unwilling to even cross those lines to have a conversation with someone. Am I right? And we're talking about, like, I'm not talking like, hey, anyone's willing to like launch a grenade over the wall, you know what I'm saying, with some incendiary comments, but I wouldn't call it out a conversation. We live in a day where demonizing someone with a position contrary to our own is not only acceptable, but it is a 
applauded. We live in a day where tolerance has been redefined. There is incivility in the workplace. Listen to a survey from, uh, that started in 1998. It, it revealed that 25% of workers experience rude or disrespectful treatment on the job. Now, that number, I know you think that was 1998. Yeah, what about now? Uh, 2005, that number doubled to 50%, and in 2015, it was much, much worse. I mean, let's just do a poll. In, in, the, in the last month, has anyone been treated in a rude or disrespectful way uh, in, in our church? Anybody? Raise your hand. Um, yeah, I think we're probably in that range, clearly. There's incivility in the workplace. There's incivility in politics. Who could disagree with Brian Jones in his article published in the Harvard Law and Public Policy Review when he said, we have presidentialized incivility? Presidentialized. Just go to at real Donald Trump and you'll know exactly what he's talking about. Can I just, let me just ask a question. I want to ask this with, with humility because I'm not above incivility at all. But can we make America great again if we are consistently offending the Americans we serve? Now listen, I, I mean no disrespect to President Trump. We should pray for President Trump. I mean, in fact, we're commanded. It's not just like an option. If you, like, if you follow Christ, we're commanded to pray for him. But I just want to call a spade a spade. Do it, do it with sadness, and hopefully not arrogance, sadness. We've presidentialized incivility, and of course we have a Republican president, but it, it, it cuts both ways. Across the aisle, we had a senator, a Democratic senator in Missouri last month Granted, in, in, a, in a, a moment, a heated moment in our country, after the events in Charlottesville, she tweeted out, I hope Trump is assassinated. Now, now later, thankfully, she admitted that was wrong to say. Thank, thankfully, I, mean, I hope it was more than just I want to keep my job, you know. But like, like principle, like when in doubt, my, my, my mentor taught me this in, in, in grad school, when in doubt, don't, all right, just don't, all right, don't, don't, if you have doubt, don't, don't say it. And, and could we just like, could we all agree that impeachment would be a little more civilized than, yeah, assassination? Like what on earth, what is wrong with us? This doesn't account for incivility in the media and on social media. Just go to some of the comment threads from some of your, you know, maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's been you. Maybe that's been me. When we talk about civility, we're talking about being polite. We're talking about exercising common courtesy and respect for other people, even those people with whom we have deep disagreement. The institution for civility and government takes it a step further when they say this. Civility is about more than just politeness. Although politeness is a necessary first step. It is about disagreeing without disrespect. 
Seeking common ground as a starting point for dialogue about differences, listening past one's own preconceptions, and teaching others to do the same. Civility is the hard work of staying present, even with those with whom we have deep-rooted and fierce disagreements. And so what I want to say to us today is that we need to restore civility in our civilization, and I believe it should start with the people who follow a civil Savior named Jesus Christ. I mean, if we, if we can't... If we can't set the pace here, if we can't set an example here, then I can promise you that our country is not going to improve in this regard. Apart from radical common grace from God. And so what I want to do is I want to go to Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 to 37. And I want to give you two truths that we see from these words on the idea of civility, all right? The first one is this, and I think you're going to see this very clearly as we work our way through. Civility flows from our character, all right? Civility flows from our character. Look at these first three verses with me. Jesus says this, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person brings, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. Now, what we have to understand as we're diving into these verses, we have to understand what's happening in the context of Matthew chapter 12, okay? So what's going on here is that early in that chapter, the religious leaders known as the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus and incriminate him by leveling an accusation against his disciples, saying, hey, they're eating grain out of the fields on the Sabbath. That's a holy day to Jews. It's a day of worship and rest. And so they were claiming that just rubbing little heads of grain and eating the grain because they were hungry, that that was actually a violation of the law. Okay, and so Jesus kind of refutes that really quick with a story I can't get into right now. Uh, But then they take it a step further later in the chapter, starting in verse 22, when Jesus heals a man who could not see or speak. Okay, he was blind, he was mute. Jesus heals him so that he can see and can speak, and the crowds were amazed. They were going wild. They were saying, can this be the son of David? In other words, can this be the Messiah? Can this be the promised redeemer? Can this be the promised deliverer? Can this be the one that is bringing the kingdom of God among us? And yet while the crowds were going crazy, the Pharisees were over here mean-mugging Jesus, and they weren't pleased with him at all. And they take it a step further, and they say, look, it's not by the hand of God that he's doing this, but it is, check this out, verse 24, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man, Jesus, cast out demons. Wow. The religious leaders weren't on the same page with Jesus. They're launching insightful words 
words of destruction against Jesus. And so that is where he puts out a call to the crowds to have discernment. To say, listen, you are hearing mixed messages here. You are hearing one thing from these people that you would assume are very close to God, very righteous, have it all together. But their words are in diametric opposition to my words. And so you have to weigh out who has the good fruit that flows from a good tree and who has the bad fruit that flows from a bad tree. I think I had Jesus over here in the Pharisees. So let me swap that. Okay, follow me. Everybody's on the same page. Thank you. All right. These words are so instructive. We see the eloquence of Jesus, how in short form, with these three verses, he can explain every word that comes from our mouth actually flows from who we are on the inside, our character. I mean, think about that. Just just with this one example, Jesus is showing us that we can explain every word, every action of every person in any place at any time. Pretty amazing stuff, just by this one analogy. And so the analogy is this. He says, good trees produce good fruit. Simple, simple enough, right? Uh, bad trees produce bad fruit. So he's saying the source determines the output. If you have a good source, you will have a good output. Thankfully, because of our AV team, we have good speakers, and these good speakers sound good. They have good outputs because they're good speakers. Good apple trees bear good apples. Fall's coming up. It's, we're in New England, right? Some of you already got ahead, and you've gone apple picking. I mean, so like find good trees, and you'll find some good fruit. And so Jesus is saying it's, 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 it's one or the other Fruit flows from and accords with the nature of the tree. He's saying our conversations reveal our character. And so when Jesus is saying all of this, he is cutting to the innermost parts of who we are. In verse 34, he says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, I really want you to lock in on this this statement right here, this, this one sentence from Christ. He says, our hearts, when Jesus talks about our hearts, when the Bible, most often when the Bible is speaking about our hearts, it is talking about the totality of our personhood, okay, our our inner man. What we think, what we feel, what we want, what we love. All of who we are on the inside, that's our heart. And so Jesus says, whatever fills our heart is going to then determine, it's going to influence what we say and how we live. Paul Tripp is a modern-day biblical counselor, and he has put a rather helpful uh, principle on this that he calls the principle of inescapable influence. And he says this, the principle of inescapable influence is this, whatever rules the heart will exercise inescapable influence over a person's behavior and life. And so it's, it's, it's what is filling us on the inside 
the abundance of what's on the inside. I love what some translations say, the overflow out of, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we can't miss this. We can't miss this phrase. We can't miss this idea. Inescapable influence, overflow, abundance. To put it very simply, I want you to think about this, all right, church? Please think about this. If we are full of Christ, if we are walking with him, if we are full of his spirit, right, then we are going to produce words most often that reflect him. That's why this, these moments are not like, man, I, I, I just show up on Sundays. It's what I do. No, these are life-changing moments. Why? Because we're spending time with Jesus. We're worshiping God. We're, we're turning our attention to him. We're hearing from the words that he has spoken to us. That's why we pray. I was so encouraged yesterday. Over, like, between 40 and 50 people, counting some kids that way. It was so cool to have the kids met for morning of prayer on the steps of the Chevalier Theater, right? And what was that about? It was about seeking more of God. Just being close to God. Having our hearts more filled with him. It's why we pray on the daily. It's why we read our Bible on the daily. It's why we get together in groups through the week because we need more of Christ. We need to be rubbing shoulders with Jesus at any and every opportunity, right? To be full of him so that when we're full of him, he will flow out of us. That is the principle. Think about it. A supernatural source will produce a supernatural effect. A supernatural source will produce a supernatural effect. If you are in Christ today, like if you have given your life to Jesus, if you have put your faith in him, you're not trusting in your, your own goodness or your own plans for your life, but you're trusting in him and his goodness and his plan and his work and his salvation that he purchased for us on the cross and in his resurrection, okay, then his spirit lives in you, and now you are no longer, just go read 1 Corinthians 3, so good. Paul says, look, you're acting like mere men. You're acting like just ordinary human beings. You're no longer ordinary because the spirit of God lives in you. You are supernatural. Supernatural sources produce supernatural outcomes, supernatural output, supernatural results. So like just, I mean, man, I bracketed this. And when I put brackets in my sermon notes, it's like, if I don't have time, maybe I shouldn't say it, but I just need to say this, all right? Galatians 5, it says the fruit of the Spirit, okay? The fruit of the Spirit coming out of our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Do you think any of those things matter for our speech, our civility? And it says things like these. So like this is not limited to those nine characteristics. We're talking about wisdom. We're talking about, man, we need some wisdom to know how to talk to one another. Um, humility, that's a fruit of the Spirit. I mean, this is why we go back to three weeks ago. Two weeks ago? Two weeks ago. Sermon on prayer, right? Jesus, like, Jesus teaches us to pray, and then he says at the very end, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts... How much more will the heavenly father give what? 
the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Like, do you see how relevant his prayer is? This, this prayer, this Jesus teaching us to pray for the Spirit, to ask for the Spirit's work in our life is relevant every single moment because we need the Spirit of God to do his supernatural work in us so we will produce supernatural results. Our words reveal who we are. Civility flows from the character of our hearts. But that's, that's the truth. That's the principle. Let's move on to something a little more constructive. Civility cares for others through constructive words. All right? I'm focusing on our words today. I think it's so important how we talk to one another, how we converse, the basics of relating to one another in life. Verses 36 and 7 are so, so, so weighty, so serious, so profound. Please don't let them just go in one ear and out the other this morning. He says this. Jesus continues and he says this. I tell you. And when Jesus says, I tell you, it's like, hey, pay attention. You need to hear what I'm about to say as if, you know, not as if we needed to not, you know, pay attention to anything else Jesus said. But like, it's like, really pay attention here. All right. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. I think there are two truths that we need to walk away with here. The first one is this. Every every word that we speak matters to God. And consequently, consequently, it should matter to us, right? Every word we speak matters to God. Think about how many words you speak in a day. I mean, this is fun. Uh, I was doing a little research. I ain't going to lie. My phone is like the battery's running down pretty quick, so I have to charge it more through the day. Anybody have this reality? Of course, many of you do. Um, And and the charger's being a little finicky with me. You know what I'm saying? So when I plug it in, it doesn't want to charge. Like immediately, I kind of got to play with it. It's so annoying. Anybody can just identify. And so I ain't going to lie. I got on Sprint's website just to see, like, what would it entail if I upgraded to, you know, a, a different iPhone. I'm not saying, like, X or Magic or whatever the, the, the highest level is, right? Don't make fun of me. Uh, but I'm just saying maybe an 8, you know, maybe an 8 if I can't squeeze into an 8, maybe a 7. And they went up on their prices, man. I'm not super pumped about the deals these days. So I think I'm going I'm to, you know, be patient, all right? Probably like Jesus will be patient with that. Um, but, but, but the fun for me was when I got on there, you know, we see all of the people on our family and friends. We are like friends at a family plan, you know what I'm saying? So uh, it's, it's the Turleys and the Chastines, all right? And I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus this morning, but I'm just saying that some people in the last month have, have, have spent time on the phone for over 2,000 minutes, and some people were like under 1,000, all right? I'm not going to name any names, all right? I'm not going to name any names. It's probably the women, but I'm not going to name which name it was, all right? I'm just saying, I'm not hating, I'm just saying, all right? But, but, you know, like, just think about the amount of words that we speak every single day. Jesus says, look, it's not just the words that you calculate. It's not just the words that you, you carefully pour over, you prepare to, for a speech or something. No, it's, it's every word, even the careless words. You have to, yeah, we have to give an account for these. Our words matter to God because God is a talking God. He spoke the world into existence. He, he made us for relationship. He made us to communicate with one another. 
I think you may know, Jesus is called the Word of God, right? He, he, he's, he, he, he came to, to, to make the Father known, to, to communicate who God is, to show us who God is. Every time Jesus spoke, there were words of life. John 6, 6, uh, 6.63 says, the words that I speak to you, Jesus says, are spirit and they are life. And so our words, are our calculated words and our careless words, are they words of life? Paul says in Ephesians, one of the greatest missionaries of the early church, he says this in Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Our words will either build someone up or they will tear them down. Our words will either encourage someone or they will discourage someone. Our words will either, listen to this, this is weighty and we need to hear this. Our words will either bring someone closer to Christ and God's plan for them or our words will push them away from Christ and his plan for them. Every word matters to God. Our words have power. We should rid ourselves of speech that is demeaning, insulting, cynical, mean, hateful, judgmental, inconsiderate, rude, and evil. We should rid ourselves of careless words and replace them with caring and constructive words. And I don't think that Jesus can put a higher motivation on this admonition than he does in verse 37 when he says this. Look, you heard it once, let's hear it again. Too important to miss. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Every word we speak will either justify us or condemn us on the day of judgment. So Jesus is saying, like Jesus is saying one day every human being that ever lives on the planet will stand before God. We'll give an account for our lives. And Jesus is saying, because your words reveal who you are, it is by, like, can you imagine, can, can we just, like, pause and think about, can you imagine if there was, like, you know, uh, an audio file? Like back in the day, we would have said, like, a CD or a cassette or something like that. But like, was there an audio file that just, like, played all of your words in the very end? How many moments of shame would there be? How many moments would we just want to cover our face and run and hope that no one could hear those words? These are, these are legal terms, okay? Like, so to, to be justified means to be declared righteous. All right, it, it means to be not guilty, not found guilty of our wrongdoing. So, so in other words, to have a right standing, like to be in right standing with the, with the law, to be justified in court is to be in right standing and to be able to remain as a free citizen, okay? But to be condemned is to say you are guilty and you're going to serve a sentence and be punished for your crimes. And Jesus is saying that, that God can see all of that just by the way we talk. Wow, just by the way we talk. The power of the tongue. 
Our words matter to God. They, they justify us or condemn us. And so maybe today you're thinking, wow, Tanner, like, if I'm being honest, my words, they would probably condemn me before God. Like, I just, I've never really, like, sold out to God in such a way that I've said, man, I, I want, because listen, the only, the only way that we can produce good fruit in our lives, the only way that we can have all of that goodness flowing out of us, overflowing out of us, is when God gives us a new heart through faith in Jesus, and now we can speak his words, and live his life. And so that only comes by faith. That only comes when in that moment or in that season of our life, we're saying, look, I've got to change. I've got to make a change. I was living this way. I was living for myself. I was living in a way contrary to God. And I'm going to turn around. I'm going to live for Christ. Listen, if you do that, if you do that, like if you have done that, I have the best reminder for you today. If you will do that, I have the best news for you today, okay, is that you will be justified and you will never, no, never be condemned before God if you trust Jesus. That's really, really good news. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been, check this out, justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's harmony with, between us and God. There's no more friction. There's no more barrier. There's no more division. There's no more, even what the Bible says, can you believe it, enmity. Like we hated God before he woke us up and gave us new life. Even if like, it's not conscious that we are thinking like, I hate God. Like we're fundamentally opposed to him by the way we're living our life before we meet Jesus. Okay, so we are justified. And then Romans 8.1 says, there is now, and in the Greek it's like so strong, it starts with the word no, none. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No one can ever level a charge at you. you no one can say to you, like if you are in Christ, if you have accepted his sacrifice on the cross for you, when you stand before God, listen, no one can say you don't belong here. Wow. Peace with God, no condemnation. Now, obviously, Jesus is not saying our, our actions don't matter. Je Jesus is talking about our words here. I mean, it's like our words, our actions, all of that are going to justify us or condemn us. They're going to reveal what, who we really are. And so let's turn to Christ. Let's believe in Christ. Let's follow Christ. Civility cares for others through constructive words. I want, what I want to do now is just give seven proposals, okay? Seven proposals for elevating a culture of civility uh, in, our, in our world, okay? In our families, in our workplaces, in society today, all right? These, some of these I, I kind of borrowed and tweaked from a man, a pastor named Bill Hybels. He uh, gave a talk last month at this Global Leadership Summit where 400,000 people heard this man speak. I was one of them. And he said, like, people email him all the time. This is like the 20th year they've done the conference. And so people are always, you know how it is, they, they're emailing him with, hey, you need to talk about this. You need to talk about that. And so, so many people, not only in America, but even around the world, this is a global issue, by the way, okay, a global issue. They were saying, we need you to talk about civility. 
And so I took some of his thoughts and I added some of my own. And so here we go, okay? What, what, what must Christians do? What must Christians do? If, if we're to take the lead, if, if we have the spirit of Christ in us and we're overflow Christ, then what might this look like, okay? Number one, Christians must slow down, examine our motives, and respond, not react, with grace. James 1.19 says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So it's always just like, you know, like, and it's, the, it's the difference between responding when we're slower than we can respond when we're quick to, to, to speak and not quick to hear, then we're quicker to react, right? And don't you, don't you see the difference there, right? Like when we react, we just spout off and then the potential goes up for those careless words that Jesus is talking about. But when we slow down, when we take a deep breath, when we walk away from that comment or that person, and we just say even, you know, back to that prayer thing, like, Lord, help me here. Like, that, that offended me, and, and I want to spout off, and I want to fire back, and I want to tear that person down like they just tore me down. But when we just stop and slow down, we can respond. And we can even respond from a pure motive. And so I'm just saying we need to examine our motives. When we speak, we need to put that motive test on it. Like, did we speak out of love or did we speak out of pride? Pride wants to elevate oneself even at cost to somebody else. If I look better in this situation, I don't care what they look like, that's pride. And we see it all around. But love wants to build others up even at cost to ourselves. Number two, Christians must differ with others passionately, even passionately. We can differ with others passionately without demonizing them. And so this is, this is what I mean. We can have spirited conversations. In fact, I believe we should have spirited conversations. One of our values as a leadership team at Redemption Hill, if we're never having as pastors, as staff, if we're never like butting heads a little bit, disagreeing, we're probably not going to make the best decisions. Family should have spirited, husbands and wives should have spirited conversations. I mean, talking about money, talking about, you know, planning and like, you know, there's nothing wrong with passionate conversation, but we do not have to attack the person when we disagree. Disagree with positions. Challenge presuppositions, examine the logic, represent a different set of values, but see people as God sees them. Like, we haven't forgotten about what we talked about last week, have we? Every person, all people posture, recognizes that every person is made in God's image, that God made that person out of love to reflect him, and that God would love that person so much that he would be willing to send his son to die for them if, if they would accept that gift? Wow, like, how could we assault or attack people who God loves? We have to love those who, with whom we disagree. Disagreement is, of course, inevitable, but 
it is healthy. Brian Jones, the, the, the writer in Harvard Law and Public Policy Review, says this, the whole idea of democracy, think about our government, the whole idea of democracy is based on the acceptance that different viewpoints abound and within reason, those perspectives should be respected, even vigorously protected. You got that? Like, we need to be comfortable with disagreement. We need to understand that person B has every right to have a position that's contrary to person A, and we can still live together in harmony and actually love one another even when we disagree. That's what families are about. That's what churches are about. That's what societies are about. If you don't like that, you're not going to like life. Is that blunt? It's true. All right. And another piece on this, another piece on this. This is so helpful. I read a book by D.A. Carson, theologian, very, very up-to-date on cultural matters. Um, he has a book titled The Intolerance of Tolerance. I want to talk about this more in a couple of weeks, okay? Um, he says that the, the problem in our, in our culture today is that we have changed definitions of tolerance. So tolerance used to mean that we accept people with different views than ours, and we respect them. But today, tolerance usually means we not only accept the existence of that position, but we have to accept the position as valid as our own. And if you're not, you're intolerant. That's not logical, but that's, that's the world we live in. And so... We need to set the pace in differing with others with passion, but not demonizing them. Number three, Christians must not interrupt others and dominate the conversation, okay? Interrupting someone is rude. Can't we just agree on that? Like, we, te- we teach three-year-olds, like, do not interrupt. Say, excuse me. And we just turn on the news, and it's all just one big interrupt, just one big fight, one big interruption match. It's ridiculous. And, and then also, um, did you know that word count does not determine who, who wins an argument? I mean, word count doesn't determine a good sermon either, all right? Don't say amen right now, okay? But I'm just saying, like, you know, like, so, like, it was amazing. Like, go read the Gospels. Read the story of, of Jesus' life. He could, in 10 words, he could totally just shut down a conversation. He could ask a question, and the conversation would be over. He can make one statement and everyone would understand, have a new perspective. Proverbs 10, 19 says, when words are many, transgression, like sin, is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. You don't have to comment on every social media post you disagree with. I mean, our poor mayor, like she does something positive in our city, like uh, protecting, like cleaning up a rotary that we actually live right next door to, so we're really thankful about it. And, and so they're, they're putting in new lines, and then they're putting in new yield signs, and they're, they're doing a lot of good work. It's going to be much, so there's like a traffic every day at the Winthrop High Street Rotary, and then people are getting on there, Stephanie, didn't you do something about this three months ago? I mean, like they're upset about her trying to save people's lives. It's pathetic. And listen, one other principle for social media, we all need to take this one on, okay? If you would not say it to the person's face, don't type it. 
Don't say it on there. Christians must, number four, Christians must watch their tone and display kindness at all times. I love Proverbs 15 once, one I learned as a kid, and, and it really helps me. It really helps me. I mean, not that, not that Marcia and I ever argue or have disagreements, but, you know, if we did, it would really help me. Um, a soft or gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Like, if you, if you want to de-escalate an argument, then bring your voice down. Like, speak softly, speak gently. If you want to stir it up, then get emotional and get loud and watch that thing escalate until it just gets nasty. You know what I'm saying? Anybody been there? Thank you very much. All right, remember Proverbs 15.1. Watch your tone. Display kindness. Love is patient and kind. Love is patient and kind. Here, here's homework, right? Here's homework for you, okay? Go read 1 Corinthians 13, the love, the love chapter, okay? And just, like, apply it to civility. Apply it to your speech. Christians, I love this one. Christians must, I mean, and we're not good at this, I don't think, a lot of times. I'm just going to, again, call a spade. I've been, I mean, been spade, spade in a president this morning. I love you, President Trump. I do. I pray for you. Um, and I'm going to spade a spade a Christian, all right? Like, we are not good at building friendships with people of different ideologies. That is, that is whack, man. That is like, that is not cool. Whack used to be a cool word. All right. <laughs> I came across this uh, article in Time Magazine uh, by a Republican senator from Utah. His name's Orrin Hatch, and uh, this, this uh, article was uh, titled, I Am Recommitting Myself to Civility. And, and in this, he reflects on days gone by. He's been in the Senate a long time, and so he says that th- there were days when Republicans and Democrats would debate vigorously, and then they would go to dinner afterwards. How amazing would that be these days? And and then he goes on and he talks about his friendship with uh, a Bostonian hero named Ted, Teddy Kennedy. And these are his words. He says, I'm grateful for the late Senator Ted Kennedy, who taught me that bonds of friendship are stronger than any partisan pool. When I first joined the Senate, I thought Teddy would be an adversary. Instead, we became the best of friends. Today, Teddy, Teddy and I were a case study in contradictions. He was born into privilege. I was born, brought up in poverty. He was an East Coast liberal. I was a Reagan conservative. He was Catholic. I was Mormon. Yet time and again, we were able to look past our differences to find areas of agreement and forge consensus. Had Teddy and I chosen party loyalty over friendship, we would not have passed some of the most significant bipartisan achievements of modern times from the Americans with Disabilities Act, that's a big one, Religious Freedom Restoration Act, Ryan White Bill, and the State Children's Health Insurance Program. We can learn from those two guys. Let's befriend people who don't think like us all the time. Let's love them with the love of Christ. Number six, let's form opinions carefully and stay open-minded if better information comes along. Let's be be open-minded. Let's let's not be afraid to change our position when better information comes along. And then seventh, Christians must apologize immediately when wrong instead of denying or doubling down. And so listen, I, I know, I know, we all have it. I have 
put our foot in our mouth, said words that we were like spoken a word and just like wish we could grab and like throw it back down our throat. And, and so when, when that happens, it's bound to happen again. But, but could we just be humble enough? Could we be humble enough to say, you know what? I blew it. I was wrong. Please forgive me. It's that simple. It's that simple. And so as we think about this, this idea of, of constructing an, an environment, a culture, a church that sets the pace in terms of civility, I just want to give you a little vision here. What, what would happen if we set the pace? We would experience better friendships in the workplace. We would experience better relationships in our families. We would have better understanding that might actually help us learn something, you know? Like, we, we have some things to learn. And all of this would promote a better society, a better city, a better country, where the shalom of God, the flourishing of God, begins to be reflected more and more for the lives that he made us for. And so can we pray for this, Redemption Hill? Can we pray that God would help us to speak the words of Christ, to be so full of Christ that we live civilized lives in our society, setting the pace, loving people, serving them like Jesus would serve and love them? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for these clear and at points strong words from Jesus. God, we need to hear them today. Father, I pray that as we process these words, as we consider our own words, as we look in the mirror and say, wow, would my words justify me or would my words condemn me? God, I pray that you would expose our hearts and that you would do so graciously and in a way that helps us to turn to you and to say, God, you have the answers that I'm looking for. God, you are the path to life. God, you are my path every day in life. And so, Father, I pray that we would be a church that knows how to talk to one another, that knows how to talk to our neighbors, that knows how to talk to people that we have disagreements with, and that we could become closer and closer to them, and we could become closer and closer to one another, just like you desire. We pray in the precious name of Jesus.